You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Well, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Contrary Beekeeper Show. It's been a little while, and we're sure glad to be back here in our studio, also known as my banjo room, Susan's dining room table. Made it big, now we bought music rights. Thank you for that uh, uh, (laughs) high-quality, pro-level audio bed there, Jimbo. That was that was perfect. Hey, man, that's my iPhone 11. iPhone 11 sounds sweet. The boys are back in town. That we are. Well, damn, it's been a minute since we'd all been able to get together. Towards the end of the year, when we uh, were getting everything wrapped up, it, it was seemed like it was one thing after another here with the addition. Jimbo with his photo shoots. Dan's putting his cows up, uh, or his hands up, the cows' rear ends, pulling them all out. Mm-hmm. It's been a, it was a busy winter, and we're just about to start kicking off the beekeeping season again and it was time to get some new shows out so that's why we're all awkwardly sitting here in our brand, table in our brand in, new studio in our brand new studio thanks susan <laughs> <laughs> thanks susie we'll probably be a good time to do an update show kind of get caught up on uh where we've been where we where, where we kind of ended up last year maybe uh our wintering approach uh kind of what we're planning for for the spring and how effective our wintering programs have kind of been so far. Jimbo, what did you uh, recap last year's season for you, if you can, and then uh, talk to us about what you did uh, to get ready for winter? Yeah, I mean, so la- last year, uh, just kind of recapping, uh, we uh, started off with uh, three hives that was uh, bought from uh, Don the Fat Bee Man. And um, we uh, end up turning that into five, five hives uh, about midsummer, and went down to four hives before winter. Um, going into winter, how how we started, uh, you know, I I I went with my waste trips this year, getting that ready, and going into in the winter. Um, uh, I just I didn't I didn't I don't have uh, a uh, I don't have a smoker, uh, not vaporizer vaporizer. I have a smoker and it's not a vaporizer. And so I you know I I don't have the the money for that expense right now. So I was able to obtain some mitoway strips from uh, from you Greg and I was able so I wanted to test that out and see how that works for me this year. Uh and so going in going into winter like I or you know going into late fall I we put the mitoway strips in and removed them uh, right in November, removed them out of the hives. Uh wanted to make sure that the uh it wasn't too hot for the mitoway strips. There's like a temperature range of for those to be effective and not too harmful, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely temperature range, and I can't remember the exact number right now, but basically, just had to keep. I think basically keep the numbers under you know 70 degrees, I believe. And don't quote me on that because I can't remember the numbers, but it was making sure we don't have like another Indian summer where you know it gets you know late you know late hot in October. Yeah, it can't be can't be too warm in there. Yeah, causes. Yeah. There's, and there was all there was. I think what was surprising is. 
you've heard folks you know be cautious with the mitoway strips but when you read the instructions for it you know it's pretty clear to expect uh, a significant uh, die-off from the strips uh, and then it's very uh, explicit about the temperature range to use those with so it's like around 50 to 80 80 85 degrees is what i'm seeing is for the temperature range for it okay yep and so that's the tricky part with late fall is uh, keeping it above fifty at night. Keeping and it then, above fifty, and then yeah. also there, we, it seems like here Tumbles. in Ohio, it is that freak weather where it was hot yep. again. Yeah, yeah, and we we've, we've had that for the past couple of years too during October. But that's a you know you, you you did a lot more with pest management this this year this past year than you did the year before. Correct. Yeah, lat, lat, the first year I didn't do any pest management. And I think you can go back. You can actually go back uh, to our early episodes and kind of rehash. If you guys want to listen and check out kind of where we were then, how we've progressed over the years to where we are now, uh, you took the approach of, of actually doing something uh, in the fall as opposed to your prior approach. What happened in the prior year to make you kind of change your mind? So, yeah, I, I lost all my hives from the prior year. And, you know, I, obviously most beekeepers told me that's what was going to happen. But, uh, you know, being a first-year beekeeper, I, you know, I just want to – I want to take the the observer, observer observing approaches, you know, which I've talked yeah. about in the past episodes. I want to observe what goes on, and and I didn't I didn't want to take any approaches. I just want to see, you know, okay, what can what can happen? It's pretty overwhelming starting off at first because there's so many things uh, that you will see on Facebook or you'll hear in your your beekeeping club all the things to do and the don't do, and you feel like, you know, sometimes you're safe for not doing anything at all because you feel like you're going to do something wrong. Um, so it's hard to uh, kind of sort all that out when you're first getting started. But so what usually what happens is you you learn the hard way. Oh, absolutely. That becomes a solid point uh, in your journey for making uh, different choices and decisions with your hives. Exactly, because you know you, you like well, you know, the joke with the beekeepers is like you know you ask ten different beekeepers and get you know twenty different responses. Yeah. And you know that you know, so you just you have the only way to do it do it is to learn it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and form form your own opinions from this stuff. I mean, I'm not saying don't take opinions from other people. I mean, you absolutely need to do that. Uh, but you know, the biggest you know thing is learning along with that, and from your own you know your own observations. And so that that's right. why I chose to do that. So this time last year. When we were having this conversation, I think all your hives were dead, and you were talking about ordering. Or actually, you hadn't known that yet, and you you were being safe, and you were going ahead and order packages from me. Yes. And then it turned out to be a, a hell of an insurance policy. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's so that's the that's the rub there in in in, um, in early winter for uh, for an Ohio beekeeper, I think, is especially if you don't <clears throat> if you only have a, a small amount number of hives. Like you know, if you if you're keeping you know several hives, you you pretty much guaranteed something's gonna make it out of there. Yeah. Um, right. But um, so so you know now you got to figure. Okay, so am I, am I how's gonna make it through? You know because you know come come December you need to know if that if what you're ordering if you're gonna order anything. Right. Because come January, it's sold out. It's hard to think about that uh, too because you know that that's when you're all the pre sales are happening for bees and all that kind of stuff and. Most folks are kind of taking a break from uh, beekeeping, and they're not even thinking about that at that time of the year. But as anyone who sells bees knows, I mean, you have to get those orders in early and get everything set up, everything scheduled. Uh, and it's it's hard when 
you're a beginning beekeeper and you really don't know what to expect. You don't even know if your bees are alive. You're not even sure, you know, when you can go out and check and see and monitor to even plan. Or even if you did have that information, what does that mean for you? What do you do different? It's, you know, it, there's, there's a, there is a hell of a learning curve. It seems like with, with beekeeping that unless you've got a mentor or, uh, you know, buddies that you trust and they'll tell you like it is, you know, it's, it's hard to get to a place where it feels like you're, successful um, early on but you've you know done a great job of learning from your experiences and then so you went into this winter with uh, a mite treatment now that it's been you know here we are uh just after valentine's day here in february we've had some warm days already have you been out to your bee yard to see if any bees are flying so uh I, in, in january we had some warm days i was able to see some bees flying then cool um, you know, as of last couple, couple of weeks, this has been really cold, you know, up in North Ohio and that's where I reside is in, on the Lake of Lake Erie. So, which is a whole different climate than the rest of oh, Ohio. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot of wind, lake effect snow, yeah. quick, uh, dives in temperature uh, up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, that's, that's it's, challenging. It's a, it's a brutal place for, uh, for <laughs> wintertime. So, so what did you do to get ready for winter? You, you did, a, you did mite treatments. Did you do anything else as far as preparing the hives with any kind of winter feeding or putting them in any kind of configuration? So, yeah, I, I, I was, you know, I took some honey before the winter, but it was just, uh, just Wait, enough. Did you just say you took honey off package bees same year? I did. How dare you? I know, right? <clears throat> so contrary. We should of have us. a we should have a myth busting show where it's just nothing but all the things that everyone tells you you can't do, you shouldn't do, is impossible to do. And we've yeah. actually done all of them. Yeah. 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 So I, I removed about thirty pounds of honey uh, off of, of four hives before before the before the winter, and and that was not, not even maybe a third. Of like, of what was there? Did you have like a a num- uh, like a a benchmark or a guideline in mind when you were pulling honey to say I'm going to leave them X amount? You know, I just wanted to, yeah i I just wanted to leave them you know I I wanted to leave them way more than than I than I think was necessary. So at least at least one frame of honey per frame of bees. It sounds like yeah, probably what you did. What was your configuration like as far as uh, box size? Uh, as far as how many boxes were stacked, what size boxes were they, and how were they configured in your bee yard? Anything special that you did for them or no? So, I, yeah, I, well, what I did, I, I pushed them all together. Okay. I pushed all my hives together. Clustering. For, clustering them for, for the bee heat sink. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's really a term, but. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just so they can just kind of hopefully sink themselves together and, get, you know, just get as much heat as possible. Um they're still on their medium boxes. Nothing really special besides that. So there's, uh, are they in doubles or singles? They're, they're mo- uh, th- three of them are in doubles. One's in a single. Okay, so you've got a, a single eight frame boxes and then double eight frame boxes. Yep. Did you go into the winter with any five frame boxes? Got one. Yeah, I do have one five frame box. Is that in a single medium or a double? Double double medium. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. yeah. The only one. Yeah, the only one that's a single is in the, is in the eight frame. And and that's my hive. That's very temperamental right now. So yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Right. Was that the? Uh, if you recapped last year, I think you you got busy with uh, your photography business, and you got a phone call from your landscaper that your one of your hives were swarming. You got that put back into a box, and I think you end up with your first split was there mo- mo- mostly on accident, I think. And so you end up growing the bee yard uh, from there, and I came over helped you get your stuff straightened up, and then we made another split. Um, and then it, I think it wasn't the, the split that happened from the swarm is the one that failed early on or eventually failed going into the fall. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, one of the splits from the from the swarm had failed. The other the other split did great. It's actually uh, a it's actually a point to touch on, uh, you know, briefly because if you don't manage your hives, they will manage themselves. Exactly, they will. And when they manage themselves, it's some. It seems like um, there's less opportunities uh, to kind of capitalize on the characteristics of the bee, which is to store honey and multiply. We what once we had that first you know trigger swarm that happened. We went through and then made those necessary splits in your yard, mm-hmm. and those were successful. Yes. So sometimes if you let the bees do all the work, you might end up with results that don't fit the your goal in the bee yard. It might work fine for the bees and their goals. I mean, they all died, so it's hard to argue. Or they left. They, they left. They yeah. left. They didn't die, but they swarmed again. Yeah. So by managing, you know, that tendency to build out, put on queen cells, and grow, when you manage it yourself, you can actually turn that into. Uh, an asset in the bee yard. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's kind of one of those assets that disappear. So, you had a lot, of, lot of nice learning opportunities. Oh, um, oh this yeah. Year without losing all your hives. Yeah, you know, to, yeah, this year was the first year that I, you know, I had, I had a, my one and only swarm so far. Yep. And you know, I was lucky enough that you know, the guy that does help me with some stuff around the house sometimes, um, he, you know, he's an old school Guatemalan beekeeper himself. And he called me. He's like, hey, you know, if you want to get home, I'll help you catch a swarm out of a tree. Nice. And so I got home real quickly. He helped me, you know, cut the branch down. And he, I asked my, hey, do you need a bee suit? He's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, I was like, all right. And, you know, I, you know, you know, me being a new beekeeper, I didn't, I'm just like, oh, no, I'm not touching that thought of bee suit. And he's like, don't, he's like, don't worry. They're, they're not concerned about me right now. Right. And so he was just shaking that branch right back into that box. Yep. And you know, damn it, they went in there. Yep. And so that was just amazing to watch there. Nice. You know, you know so that was that was a huge learning experience right there in itself. So you had a a, a very positive and successful uh, your best beekeeping season yet this past year. Out of the out of the two, absolutely. Yeah. You switched up. You got uh, different bees, different management, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit different things you did with with uh, boxes and being on top of the mites. You went into the winter time. You pushed them together for a windbreak, try to see if the heat sink uh, works. Did you do any kind of winter feeding or anything on them? No, I have not done any winter feeding. So I, <clears throat> me still being in my observer phase. See, yeah. Right. I, I just, you know, we'll make slight changes. Yep. And, you know, we'll see what happens. On warm days, you're seeing them fly. So yeah, still seeing the them fly. So next thing is just to get ready for spring. What? And I, like I said, I left them plenty of, I left them plenty of honey. And I know yeah. that they can go through that honey and, you know. Especially with the weird weather. Weird weather. Yeah. But, you know, that's why I erred on caution aside of leaving more honey than yeah. taking some. Cool. But I still got 30 pounds for myself. And, you know, for me, being a small family with my wife and my child, like, right. that's more, way more than enough for us. Right. And honestly, we're giving it away sometimes. Yep. Cool. What do you so uh, you 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 have more packages coming from us again? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I ordered more packages. Another insurance policy, Another. but also a quick way to grow the yard too. Yep. And, and we, we discussed you know so we'll you know order two packages this year, and we can make the, we can make splits you know at any point with those right away. Right. Um, you know just and see how my my bees you know handle. You what know, are right your goals now. this year for the for your bee yard? Uh my goals this year is just to keep them alive. Yeah, keep them alive, grow them out. Yep, get, get a little honey and keep learning. Just keep learning. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any monstrous goals right now. I, I'm, I'm, I don't have any. Uh, what do you call those uh, dreams of grandeur? Yeah, you know, um, you're, you're realistic with your. I think what's, what's important um, for folks to maybe you know if, if if they don't know you as well as as the rest of us do, it's it's important to have realistic 
not only goals but expectations in the bee yard and typically the biggest uh challenge that anyone has in the bee yard is finding enough time to actually maintain whatever the goals are in the bee yard yeah that i think that's an excellent point to t- touch on is that needing to man- more better management uh maintain you know have finding that time and scheduling out time to uh, to be in that BR a little bit better than I did this last year. I mean, that's a big goal of mine this year. Yeah, is just making the time to be there and learning. You know, and it grows great. You know, and it's gonna grow, but like I don't have a goal on how far I want it to grow. Yeah, I just have a goal as far as I want to be better off than I was the, this past just, year. Yep, just do better each time. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say looking back at last year? Maybe well, when we go around, when we all get caught up with our bee yards here, we'll keep the, the, the question in mind. Learn, last year, what was what do you, what was the the greatest lesson learned uh, from last year that you had? If you had to recap all that, hmm. greatest lesson from last year. That's an interesting interesting thought there. Like looking back <clears throat> to last year. Were there any significant takeaways that you had either from uh, how, how you managed or didn't manage the hives and an outcome that you might want to change or do a little differently this coming year? You know, I so I, I think my biggest, you know, you know, takeaway from this year right, for me right now is, um, which I, you know, go, going through last year, it was going through my, going through my hives, uh, Keeping keeping the frames cleaned up, I think, was a, you know, one of the things that I kind of uh, failed on last year. And so, what I want to work on this year is keeping those frames uh, a bit more uh, a bit more cleaned up, and manageable. Just because cleaned up isn't like pulling them out regularly. And, yeah, you know, okay. pull, pull them out regularly because you know, like when we went we went through the hot you know through the hives and pulling the frames out, and you, we noticed that cause, because I hadn't had the time to go through them. It, it, it just made it so much more difficult to pull them out and inspect them when you when you haven't pulled them out in a while. Yeah, and so I think just keeping those just clean up enough just so you can manage them. Manage even if it's if you can budget an hour a week to the yard to do the just maintenance. It seems to be well worth that investment rather than spending eight or ten hours one day trying to straighten everything up. Not only straightening it up, but also doing all the repercussions that happen inside of the hive from after that. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it saves you a little, uh, you know, spending a few minutes in the short term saves you hours in the long run. So having uh, four or five hives last this last year, what was your average time a, a week that you think you spent in the bee yard? Uh, I, I was, I was in there once every few weeks. Okay. So once every two or three weeks you're yeah. in there. And that was for an hour or two then? or Yeah, about an hour or two at that time. Okay, yeah, so, so if we broke that out over, let's say, three weeks, you had about, it would be about 45 minutes a week mm-hmm. to go through. If you broke that out in right. three weeks. Yeah. Instead, yeah, okay. But because I let it, you know, things go farther than it should have. It took you a little longer to get them shored back up. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so like I said, you know, just spending a few minutes just to knock out what I need to do now yeah. saves so much in the long run. That's great. That's going to be an exciting year again for you as you not only grow the bee yard, but personally grow and and develop a a style and uh, develop management skills with time and ability and goals. It's that's the thing about beekeeping. It's not just about the bees. 
you know, it's, there's, there's growth that happens all the way around. And that's the, an, another fun aspect, uh, of the bees there. Dan, how did your, how did you and Christie's uh, year at the Red Dog Ranch go, uh, with the bees? Oh, uh, surprisingly well. Surprisingly well. Yes. Were you expecting complete and utter failure? Always. Yeah. I'm always doing the the worst. Yeah. Or plan for the worst. Yeah. Prepare for the worst. What's the saying there? Oh, that's what I was trying to think of. The worst and prepare. I don't know. Expect the worst and prepare for the best. Something like that. There's probably a smart way of saying that. Yeah. Someone will correct us. I'm sure. No, uh, we uh, got a bunch of packages from the uh, B run. Uh, immediately split those off into. Uh, uh, I bought queens, so I broke those packages down immediately into uh, two hives with a fresh queen, and then just kept splitting away. Uh, fall time came, going through, and there was a lot of goldenrod that they packed in there. Uh, some of them had at least two full supers worth. So to break them down, we spun a bunch of honey. Wait, did you just say you sp- you spun honey on package bees that we split, that split. multiple times? <laughs> yeah, that's impossible, Dan. It is. It is. So uh, I think all in all, we're around twenty five hives, and we went into the year with I think two. And so uh, we pulled six and a half five gallon buckets of honey. Wow. Off of just fall flow, just the fall flow. Yep, and still had some plenty left on there. Each each hive at least has a super full honey. So not only did you pull honey, but if you look at the ROI, the financials of the bee yard, it just paid for itself. Like year one, yeah. And you're still in the and you were still in the black, mm-hmm. and the bees are alive. Yeah, and making my own equipment that that See? definitely took it down to. I I was able to pull a profit. Off of equipment and everything, year one. That's very contrary to all the education that's out there for it is beginning beekeeping. Yep, and a lot of it's just because I'm cheap. I'm very cheap, so uh, along with that was what was able to uh, get me to where I was. So we bought all of our wood as just rough cut pine and shit. Some of it shoot. Sorry. This is a family-friendly Yeah, show. I just realized Channel that. Dan, in it. Uh, we even bought uh, some red oak that we got from the Amish sawmill. And, that, uh, that's a good learning opportunity there. Talk to <sighs> us about building equipment from red oak versus pine. Pine is great. Great on everything. It's great on the planer. It goes so much quicker on the even planer. Even green. Yes, it is fantastic. Red oak is very time consuming, very time consuming. It's a very nice way to put it. Yes. It's harder on the knives on the planer. It's harder on the saws. It's just difficult across the board. Even on your back, it's heavier. Yes, it is heavier too. And you wouldn't think just a little box, but you definitely notice a huge difference. Especially when you're building with green lumber. If you're you're building... uh, Trying to make square boxes out of green red oak oh. versus green white pine. Yeah. There's a big difference well, on how we'll, those boxes stay square and move and warp. Well, when we get pine, we'll take it and we'll uh, we'll seal up the ends a little bit or mm-hmm. at least try to. And I'll sit someplace to dry at least for six months before we touch it. Yeah. So there's a little bit of planning that goes with that. But as of right now, 
my pine resources dried up. Yeah. So they only had, oh God, half dozen pine trees and he's milled them all out for me. Yeah. So, but other than that, pulled honey off, winterized the hives. Uh, half of them I smashed together on one hive or a couple hive stands to see how they do. The other half I left spread apart just because I talking, was curious. We're talking about wintering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to see how it all goes. So you clustered some, and then you left some yep. isolated on stands. Yep. And I think the uh, – I know I already got a couple dead ones, and that's, it seems like it's just coming from using those mason jar lids, uh, the feeders. There's, I haven't found a good solid way to seal up the holes yet. Oh, you see they got rain in those. So, I moisture. yeah, I took a couple, like, three-ply plywood and screwed them down, and yeah. some of it's warping real bad. And – the ones that are real bad, I've already seen that those hives are already long gone. So that's the hard part with those with the mason jar feedings. You know, it can be handy if you have less than twenty hives. Yeah, but very much so. And when it comes to winter time, you have to find a good way to close that off. Well, even 15, 10, 15 hives, it was starting to get a little taxing. Yeah. And also, I I really just didn't want to have glass in my bee yard because maybe one day I move my bee yard and I'll still have broken glass laying on the ground there. That's exactly uh, why the fat bee man. <coughs> has gotten away from court jars over a decade ago is because, you know, with students and everything else, I mean, I even, I mean, right. When I made the switch, I had a whole, like a lawn trailer full of court jars. So do I the yard. And it was, I don't even know how many it was 40 of them or so. And the, the dang cart, uh, you know, maybe some people have really nice everything. I do have yeah. a nice tractor now. That's, you that's, do. That's I saw handy. her. She's beautiful. Like I, I, it is nice having nice things. Yeah. But when it's like a four-wheeler or an old you know, John Deere 110 lawn trailer, and you've got this rickety thing hooked up behind, and you've got ratchet straps to keep the tailgate on, and you put you know, 40 quart jars of feed in there to take to your bee yard. And they're all clanking against they're all, each other. They're all other. clanking together, and then the whole, then the whole thing dumps. The, the, the catch slips. The dump bed dumps. And then the tailgate that you had ratchet strapped on comes yes. off at the same time. You've mm-hmm. got 40 quarts that all fall all at once all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they all break and there's sugar every. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It only takes that happening once. You start to reevaluate. Oh, man, is there a different way to do this? So I I found a YouTube video of this, uh, this cat making some uh, handy bucket feeder things. Do um, tell. I don't know what they would uh, they'd call them, but... It, great information on there the the host was a little uh, troublesome to deal with but a little rough on the eyes but I definitely he's kind of handsome myself he had some good information just wish you would have picked someone prettier to present it that's true so if you if you aren't familiar with our inside jokes here we made a youtube video on how to build the one gallon there's no way you did well you're greg there. greg made a youtube video well, you're there in spirit Dan and Jim are not in it, so it's no we. But Dan and Jim and our buddy Dustin help us build the workshop that we shot the video in. So <laughs> technically speaking, you're drunk that day. Yeah. Dude, this is like the 10 degrees of Kevin Bacon. I love bacon. <laughs> so we, 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 we put the video up uh, so folks can build their own one-gallon pails, and the, 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 the actual feeding plug apparatus that you is great because you can pull that plug out, and fill it, put the plug back in, and that's the the plug itself has a hole in it, which dispenses the feed and doesn't drown the bees and does great. The place that I found to get those from 
when I first was using them, you could you could buy 50 of them if you wanted to, or 100. Well, I put the video up, and they got inundated with calls from beekeepers, and they want five plugs, or 10 plugs, or 50 plugs, or 500 plugs. And they, well, what happened is they start upping the order. At first, it was 300. Then it was 700. Now it's up to like 3,000 plugs. And no one's going to buy 3,000 plugs. And so, Not your average person. Your commercial no, so, so, so people are watching the video and commenting, and they're like, great video, but we can't get the plugs, you know? How dare you? And they well, get, I, I was passing the information, passing information along, well, you know? What was the office that you suggested calling the one in Georgia? Yeah. I, I called them, and she gave me an astronomical number, how many, and you could tell she was a little annoyed with dealing with them. Yeah. And so I end up, they have another office, I think it was Florida, maybe? I think it was like three or four of them. Yeah, yeah. so I called, let's we'll say their Florida office, and I got this sweet southern lady who was super kind, and she was just as nice as can be, and she said, hey, dear, how many do you need? I was like, well, can we do a few hundred? And she goes, just tell me how much you need. They come and bags this size and have to be multiples of this i was like 170 a bag i think but she was so kind and i ended up getting a few hundred yeah and then uh well they stopped doing that now oh did they and so now you pretty much have to have a have to have a freight drop to get anything from them so that's what we did is we just now i've bought them in bulk and we put the plugs on the website for sale that folks want 20 or 100 or 200 or 500 they could get them just because they are so handy i mean they're and which website is that greg so i have a fantastic web developer blask media services put together a beautiful website for me you too can not only can you order packages in ohio adapted bees and nukes in queens you can also now order your feeder plugs and coffee cups at nature's image farm.com do the plugs come pre-drilled? They do not come pre-drilled, and that's for very good reason. What would that be? Because everyone mixes up their sugar different. Yeah. And mm. so if I if I put a hole in that... Would this be something that you'd have to watch the video to find out? You have to watch the video to find out exactly what size and how to do it. Okay. And you can go to YouTube under One Gallon Bucket Feeder, Nature's Image Farm, The Contrary Farmstead is our YouTube handle. Maybe we'll have to put the link in the show notes. There we go. But no, just it's in all seriousness, it's really easy. Yeah, it's, to do it's, that. Yeah, but, but the, the the trouble is, you have to mix up your syrup, right? And to do that is very, mm-hmm. very, very simple. Um, because I um, I primarily mix all two to one, and I'm thinking about going all uh, fructose. Fru- fructose to be or to be a five to one. So that'll be yeah. a, that'll be a different um, plug. But if there's a nice, easy way. You don't need equipment, fancy equipment. To, to make any of this stuff all those links are in the video yeah you can make your own pail feeders they're they're have literally been a game changer in the bee yard i i got a lot like i said what i love about those things is the pre-mixing your 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 sugar water now so much easier like before i'm using a five gallon bucket to pre-mix my, my my 10 pound bag from sam's club of sugar yeah i put it into the bucket and then you know then i, I pull my drill out and i you know put the, the paint spinner on it to try to mix up the the water and the, and the sugar and and then it's then it sits there in that five gallon bucket for however long yeah which is a pain in pain in the butt but with the one gallon buckets I mean you you can so much easily put that ratio better together inside that and just shake it up yeah there, there's it's super versatile because not only can you can you if you are only mixing a couple you can mix them in the bucket but when it's time to feed you know the issue like with in, in Ohio in, in spring and fall is when we have temperatures that drop below forty uh, the 
the, the, the pressure changes and, and any kind of a feeder leaks, any kind of a top feeder will leak. Nice thing about the buckets is when it's warm out, you just turn the bucket upside down. So it dispenses feed. And then that night, if it's going to get below 40, you just go out before it gets cold and flip the bucket up to where it's, it's like turning it off, you know? Yeah. It's super easy to take feed off and on. What I really like, and you kind of mentioned, Dan, about the you know losing highs because the water got in your lids oh, um, I can, from the mason jars. Yeah, and that was the biggest, honestly, the biggest selling point for me, getting glass out of the bee yard and being able to seal up those giant holes from the mason jar lids. And that was always, I had problems with it for the last two winters. I know I've lost hives from it, and there's just been no good solution and that was really the primary reason of first looking into these bucket feeders was to figure out a way to seal up these hives better. Because now the same plug that you use in your bucket feeder to dispense feed, you use a, a fresh one of those plugs. That's the size hole you drill in your top lid. Yeah. And you seal off that hole with one of these plugs and it's airtight, watertight all year long. Yeah. Come springtime, you pop that plug right out of your top lid and put your bucket on and you're good to yep. go. So it helps, you know, it saves a lot of time. Not only does it save time in the bee yard, uh, but it's it's it saves a lot of mess dealing with feed. Um, there's You have more uh, options and ability to turn feed on, turn feed off. If you have one hive that's not taking it and you have one hive that needs it, you can just swap the bucket from one hive to another real quick. Yeah. Uh, that works out. Um, I did some of that last year. It works great. What I get from you, I, I think I borrowed five of them. From yeah. you that's at first to give it a shot yeah. yeah to see what i thought and it's it's definitely it was a game changer having those and be able to move them from hive to hive yeah just blow all the bees off and then put it right on the next one we would be uh what, what do fancy people say we would be remiss to not point out the fact that a lot of people when they're hearing us talk about feeding bees they're automatically thinking like how dare you bees don't need anything from us why would you ever feed your bees that's just Folks don't understand that when we're, when, when we're talking about feeding bees, we're talking about feeding splits, we're talking about uh, feeding uh, mating nukes, we're talking about feeding young hives, uh, and they're, yeah. not, they're not storing that sugar syrup. They're using that, that all that, those carbohydrates from the sugar for, for wax development, yeah. and it really helps them uh, make a lot of wax. Then they can build out all their foundation, yep. build the infrastructure of the hive, they actually have a place to then start pulling in and packing in all the pollen to make the bee bread, to bring in the nectar, to make the honey. Mm-hmm. So the sugar is not going uh, as a a complete uh, nutrition form. It's there primarily for for to make uh, a lot of wax and, and, and to make it quick. To yeah. get, so they can, them themselves, can get their hives off to a good start with their own work. And what I've noticed is that the bees won't won't take it if they don't want it. When there's a flow on, they don't touch the they don't touch the syrup. Yeah, I, my buckets have stayed full for several weeks. Right. You know, and I'm like, oh wow, they're just not even touching this this anymore. I'm like, should I just keep feeding them? So you know, I just leave it on. Darth, what happens? Darth, you know, yeah, they start eating the buckets it again. Are empty. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, so I mean, it's more of a supplement than it is you know a, a main nutrient source. Right, and that's important. You know, so Dan, now that you've you had a. a a tremendously successful year doing things with bees that everyone says you can't do. You can't do. Your bee yard is is profitable. Yes, for probably the, for the first time in the, the well, since I started. Since you yeah. started, um, it was nice to have that little reset there. Yeah, to change things around. So now you have so much to build on to move forward. You, you mentioned that you wintered, you clustered some, you pushed some of your hives together. Folks aren't familiar with that. 
Yeah, that's a technique by that that you'll see uh, like up in the Northeast. Mike Palmer, uh, guys up in Vermont, uh, do that because it helps. To, uh, the, the idea is so when you push hives together, it creates a heat sink or there's shared heat between the boxes. It creates a windbreak. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't necessarily buy the heat sink thing. At I primarily all. did it for the windbreak because we're in a very flat right. area. We got a lot of snow drifting and things like that. And yeah. now the winds are blowing on one side of the box versus the three. Right. When, what does it hurt break? to do it though? You know. Well, that's the th- well, I, and we'll talk about that. It, I, it's a matter of scale. Yeah. Right. Right. If, you, if you've got ten or twenty or thirty hives, it's not that big a deal to stack them. Yeah. But if you got when 50, you 50 100. or hundred or five hundred, that's not going to be your approach. So it's not like it's it's a right or a wrong way. Um, but I think more importantly, it, we I think beekeepers like to do things in their bee yard. Yeah. Because it makes you feel like you're doing something or you're helping the bees, whether you are or not. And it's, I think that's, that's, that's part of it. So it's hard to cut through what's going on uh, and sometimes have an unbiased uh, opinion or an, an unbiased approach to it. For me, the unbiasedness of seeing does that actually work is using technology, using a FLIR camera. A what camera? FLIR. See, I oh, said it FLIR. right. I used to say FLIR, and Dan said I was too hillbilly. Like, so. like LeFleur? LeFleur. So now I got to say FLIR. When you use a FLIR camera, a thermal camera, you can actually see exactly where the cluster is. Uh, and what I noticed is that all my clusters, uh, even the last time I checked a couple of weeks ago, even when it's 10 degrees outside, they're not sharing the common walls that they're pushed up against. They're yeah. still in the middle of the hive. So is there is, is it creating uh, less of a, of a um, is there less heat loss? At those outside edges because they're pushed together probably totally so but since bees actually warm the cluster not the entire hive i'm i'm considering reevaluating that entire approach because it's a lot of work yeah and i i, I went in a lot of singles single five frame boxes single deep, uh, deep boxes and so stacking up all these individual boxes on top of each other um we'll talk about that here in a minute on, on how we went into the winter and, and why uh but it's it's neat that we're all doing similar things, but also a little bit different because we can all learn from each other. Like, okay, I didn't feed. I didn't do any kind of winter feeding and here's what happened. Or I did and it helped, but it's not a, a, a game changer. So how did you, Dan, when you got everything set up for the winter time, you put them together, you had some that were isolated. Uh, you were using pale feeders. You had them fed. You pulled a lot of honey. Yeah. What was your what, what do you use as, as a gauge as far as how much honey to leave on your hives? And what was your configuration of the boxes themselves? I got a little bit of everything going right now. I got a bunch of deeps out there, eight frame deeps. Uh, and singles or doubles? Uh, that'd be so it'd be a deep with a medium on top. Okay. I got a bunch of those. I think I want to have one single deep by itself right now. But other than that, I got a couple nukes laying around. So far, they all seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, once I tucked them in, I really haven't had time to go out there go and look out. at them. But you've been out on warm days? Uh, warm days, I've actually seen them digging through feed and whatnot like that. Animal feed, not bee feed. Yeah. And so I at least know there's some bees there. So hopefully the next warm day, I'll be able to sneak out there and actually see what's going on. It's just been a little chaotic. So, so uh, before we um, move on to you know your story, Greg, I I wanted you to uh, now I've had time to think 
about my year, yeah. and I'm not 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 Johnny on the spot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to re ask ask me the question, what uh, uh, you asked me before. Okay, so looking back at last year's beekeeping season, were there any ta- like uh, takeaways or lessons that you learned last year that you want to apply to your beekeeping season this year? Yeah, so like now that I have time to think about it, one of the biggest takeaways that I learned this past year, and this is something that you know I kind of learned together with with you as well. Um, the first year, going back to back a little history, back the first year, I had the hardest time spotting spotting new eggs being laid. Just couldn't see it. Just you know, it's hard enough being in the veil to see it. You know, without you know, without not having a veil on. And so the second year, like I was, Greg, you finally taught me how to be able to see those eggs being laid. Yeah. And like once you see those eggs being being, you know, those once you see, be able to spot those eggs, you can't unspot them. You can't unsee it. Yeah. You can't unsee it. So you know, I can spot them constantly. So what? Why that's a really big deal for me, and I think for any, anybody, and this might be controversial. Who knows? I stopped looking for queens. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point if it's a fresh egg being laid? Why should I spend twenty minutes, a half hour per hive? Some you know sometimes you can spot a queen right away, but sometimes that takes a long time to spot a queen. Right, that's a waste of time in my opinion. If you can see fresh eggs being laid, the only time you need to find a queen really is if you're making a split, uh, if you're if you're putting the queen in a cage and shipping her. You know, it's a, it's a different um, context, but I think you know as new beekeepers, like the queen is like it's it's there's there's all a magical essence to the whole hive itself, but the queen is like well she's the queen. You know, she she is that 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 part of that of the whole entire uh, super organism that you want to find. You want to see she's the one that lays all the eggs. There's a certain amount of royalty to the queen, and so that's a fun and exciting part is to always see your queen. Right. And, you know, beekeepers will name the queen. They'll do this, and they have fun with it, and they enjoy it. And it's. Did you name your queens? No. Oh, okay. Is yours name Black Betty? No, Black no. Bay Reserved is. Reserved for something special, okay. very special, very near special. and dear to me, and me as well. Oh, <laughs> but no, so yeah, that, that's totally right. It, that saves you a lot of time in the bee yard, and I think what I've seen with beginning beekeepers is when they are first learning what to look for in the hive. You know, they're already not super comfortable around uh, being around the bees first and foremost, and so they're they're suited up, they're wearing gloves, they can't see, they can't feel. You, you, and it's usually it's warm outside it's hot you're building up anxiety you're boiling you're getting stressful you're getting hot you're getting flustered you get tunnel vision you can't see you get stressed out next thing you know you forget what in the world it is that you're supposed to be doing out there to begin with so you revert back to well do i have a queen where's my queen and you can spend just 20 30 minutes looking for a queen the hives open the bees are getting agitated they're bouncing off your veil or they're stinging or there's this or they're that it's like a it's a chain reaction where it's like if you know at the beginning i'm just gonna crack the lid give them a little bit of smoke just give them a couple seconds i'm gonna loosen up my frames i'm gonna slowly pull methodically pull my outside frame look at it real quick set it off to the side go through do all the things that i need to do oh i just saw day old eggs they're standing straight out at attention in the center of the cell okay I've got a queen length in the last 24 hours. What else do I really need to see in here? And now you're checking. Now it depends on your goals. If Are you building the hive up for honey? Are you building it up to split? 
are you so now you now you can actually get to the the, the brass tacks of it rather than losing the focus from the beginning because all those things kind of build up. Right. I mean, and along you're still checking for the queen cell, you know, new queen cells being made, right. you know, you don't want that hot happening. Well, maybe you do, but yeah, but, but at least you have a, now when you crack open hive, you already have a few things in, in mind that, that you're looking for when you, whenever you get started to, 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 you know, to react to whatever is going on. Are there queen cells? You know, is there a bunch of ugly comb that you need, you know, cleaned up because they're hiding eggs underneath or there's, you know, that's a whole other show. That would actually be a good show, a hive basics, hive inspection show, kind of going down, breaking it down simply as to all the things that you look for and why. But uh, that's a, that's a good, good. So an hour show, the first something we do and normally like 10 to 15 minutes. Not even. I'm like, I'm, I'm like a minute and a half or two minutes of hive. Yeah. That's it. But, but, you know, like we're talking about, you know, like if we do spend that 20, 30 minutes, you know, getting stressed out per hive, you do that your first hive, think about how that sets the tone for the rest of your hives. You know, and, those, and you, you can tell me those other bees don't feed upon you on, on that stress that you already have from that first hive. Well, they pick up on it. Oh, yeah. And that's, we've talked about it. I mean, every, everyone should have a chair in their bee yard where you sit and you get your mind right. You, you know, you calm down, you, you watch the bees because it's, it's, it's a process. It's a natural, for me, it's, it's a mental process where you shed away yourself. You shed away the ego. You're focused on the hive. Now, now you can see them, you can hear them, you can smell them. You're picking up on their legs, the pollen, what their activity is like. When you first walk, when, when most folks come here to visit and they walk into a bee yard and there's a hundred or more hives and there's clouds of bees flying around. At first, the first reaction, you can see people get kind of get tensed up because they're not used to nice, gentle bees. So they're thinking they're going to walk into a, a, a bee storm and get, you know, kind of tore up. You know, once you get in there and you have them sit down and you just you're talking and you're relaxing, maybe you're having a cup of coffee first. Next thing you know, all of a sudden you're talking to them and they're not even listening because they're just fixated on the whole picture. And now they're actually seeing like it's not just about the individual bee or the individual hive. It's one super organism. And it's a really, I mean, it's nothing short of magical. It really is. I mean, you can walk right in front of, you can walk right in front of those beehives, no suit. I mean, and you're not messing with their hives. They're not going to touch you. As long as you're not trying to bat them away from you, you could just be one with the bees. And, and I've done this several times. Like I've been in their direct flight path. Right. And I know some people are like, no, you can't do that. I just do that just to go look at the front of the hives to see yep. what's going on in front of the hives without my... Because I'm not going to get suited up just to go look at the front of the hives. Right. It's yeah. fair to say not all bees are like that, though. Unless you're at Mark Smith's place. <laughs> That's right. And then they'll you zap got, you immediately. You got bit by Mark's bees, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I wasn't even there. 30 seconds, and we were in front of a empty hive. I don't um, think they liked your wintergreen skull long cut. Is that what it is? Did I say it right? No, you got me some from my Copenhagen. Birthday. Oh, Daxi, I'm just yeah. not. Uh, I'm not up to snuff. So Dan, Dan, Dan <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> God, your puns are awful. Dan, what was your biggest takeaway from your season? Uh, patience. Definitely patience. And, Guns and roses. Uh, just pa- patience, right? Little patience. How's that song go? I forget. I can't think how it goes. Oh, patience. that's a shame. No, just patience and uh. Not pushing myself too much for goals. If I if I set a goal, it's not a firm goal. Don't try to sp- stretch splits late in the game to try to get to where you want to be. And that was the biggest one for me as I've had in the past is that 
When I did have these goals, I made a lot of late fall splits when I probably shouldn't have, and it came to bite me in the ass in the spring. Is that because you're pushing towards the goal to make yes, the goal? Yes, yeah. yes, it's definitely. I, you, I got a firm number fixed in my head. I need X amount of hives. You always winner. being. I mean, you're very goal oriented, but you're also very you, you execute and you get the thing done that needs to be done. Yes. Have you always been like that? Or is, yes. that, is that, and this is the first time I've ever really had to break away from that. So then you take Dan who's already, were your goal oriented like as a kid or is this something like being in the Marines that I don't know where I picked further? up on it or it was beaten into me, but it's yeah. always something that's been there. Yeah. Cause so. you're, you're the, you're the, you're the make it happen no matter what. Uh, Somewhat kind of mo- mostly. I, yeah. You're very, and the big, the big thing was putting the bee, the chair in the bee yard. And okay. that was, yeah. Uh, and actually, I shortly after we talked about that, I did the same. And it's really a nice way to relax. It works, doesn't it? Yes. It's not really fun this time of year, but. Right. It's like, you know, becoming one with the bees. And you know, it's maybe kind of, you know, woo-woo purplish. But I, I, I believe, you know, if you're just kind of like trying to become part of them, part of something bigger than yourself, like it's gonna relax you. It's gonna relax them. It's good for both of you. It. I mean, that, that's you know, we could totally get super woo woo on that. But if we look at humans, you know, we are the cornerstone species. There are a lot of the things in our ecosystem and our environment exist because we've put things in place that there they are there. Sure, nature is going to go on without us, and there is going to be balance with or without us. But we we we, we have an important role to play when we're talking about. Uh, animal husbandry. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, and, and Dan, you spent a lot of time with cows. Dan, I guarantee you. That was you, a fun time. Garen, you know, Dan can look at a cow on a hillside and already has a connection and can read the body language, read her temperament and know what's going on. Like it's the same thing with the bees. Once you t- learn to tune into those things, you know, when your cow is not right. Well, it's just when like your dog's not right. It's just like your wife. You know, you can see her from a hillside. You can tune in to what's wrong. It's better to... What, what, when to approach and when to run. <laughs> what's, the, what's the old proverb? Uh, it's better to dwell on the housetop than inside with a scornful woman. <laughs> I have not heard that. <laughs> That's the truth. Not to say mine would ever be scornful if she's listening. She's, <clears throat> which she's probably not. <laughs> it's okay. Chris, she doesn't listen either. Yeah. None of our wives love us. No. That's why we're all here talking to each other and running microphones on a Sunday. Yep. <laughs> so, Greg. Well, what? so what's your so what, your patience? Uh, let's, let's wrap up your, yeah. uh, your beekeeping. So, your patience. So, what are you going to do? Diff- what are your goals this year? And what are your... I don't know. That's... Wow. That's... Wow. That's yeah. a heck of an acknowledgement. Keep them alive and do what's right by them. Yeah. If I make some money out of it, I'm already in the black. So if I make some money out of it, fantastic. Right. Just don't kill them. So what are your, as far as the, the bee yard itself? I'd like to stay around the same number I got. I think I'm running about 25. And you're, but you're, are you raising bees to sell bees or you're raising bees oh, to sell honey? Honey. 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 So I, you have honey goals for this year? Yes. Yes. Uh, we're, uh, if we get some, we're talking about doing some more bottled honey. Yeah. And uh, this year we're talking about trying to introduce some cut comb. Or some Ross rounds, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about Ross rounds, that's a little Shoot. they're pretty profitable, yeah. But we can do cut comb too, and it's gonna be a lot easier. And I'll have to buy specialized equipment off the rip. That could be a whole other uh, you know, show topic right there, yeah. Just bottling and honey, honey, just the honey show, just the honey show, or just how we, we somebody, make, we need or how we really make our yards profitable. Oh, yeah, profitable, a profitable, you know, 
there's a lot of things with farming. There's, there's always measures of, of, of the word sustainable is huge. It has been for a long time. Yeah. It's one thing to be sustainable as far as physically sustaining and to have bees and to be able to make your own bees. But another overlooked, and I don't think often talked about aspect of farming, especially bee farming, is the financial sustainability aspect. Because it's all well and good to have a couple hives. And if you lose them, you want to catch a swarm. You know, you could say that's sustainable for you. However, when you're going into any kind of an uh, uh, enterprise with bees, if they're not financially sustainable, mm-hmm. you have a hobby that's costing you money. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? No. Because look at golf and everything else. It, you know, a lot but of guys. One day you could get really, really good at golf. Man. I used to have golf clubs and golf shoes. You could be on the ESPN. Hat. Was it back Swing when you lived in your Columbus? Club? That's when I was a city slicker. Wow. Yeah. Let me tell you, that is that's an addicting rabbit hole. It's terrible. Would you ever want to do a golf outing? Don't tempt me. I haven't golfed. I don't own a single golf club. I haven't golfed since high school. And we got kicked, off, terrible, the, terrible we got kicked off the course. I hardly ever broke 100. Ever. But I enjoyed the challenge, and I enjoyed trying to... You know, gain the muscle memory and, and to know what yeah. to do next, and to, to read the, read the situation and things like that. But with beekeeping, it's like that. Only you can die. So you can that. die golfing. What if you put your golf cart in the pond? That's true. Or alcohol poisoning. Or get a golf ball to the forehead. <laughs> or spend too much time on the nineteenth hole. <laughs> There's nineteen holes in golf. Isn't there nineteen holes in golf? Huh? Isn't the nineteenth hole the bar? Oh, is it? I think. I'm oh. pretty sure that's the bar. Yeah. That's the clubhouse, Dan. Our community golf course only had nine holes. Oh. Yes. We just. That's really easy to break 109. <laughs> I'm pretty sweet at putt-putt. I don't Ooh, think I. Yeah. I was always over 100. Maybe we should have the uh, Contrary Beekeepers uh, show Magic Mountain Putt-Putt Golf Challenge. Yes. Dan's giving me the eyes like, we're, we're making that happen. <laughs> yes. So time management was your big takeaway from last year. You got you got Red Dog Ranch is going to make and have honey available again. Yeah, and we're going to push for see if we can get some. So cut, you have spring flow honey this year. Yeah, we will. Yep, that'd be nice. Oh, if they all survive, they will. Right. Yeah, but you've seen them out when it's warm. You've, yep, you've seen bees, so that's good. We're heading in the right direction. Yep. So Greg, don't count your eggs before they hatch. We've talked about us. Let's hear about you. Yeah, what happened over here? Well, as we, we've kind of uh, hinted on before, we're sitting in the new dining room. No, it's uh, a studio. It's our new studio. Our new studio. Our new, yeah. uh, our very fancy professional beekeeping studio. Uh, we, you know, we got to a point last year to where the beasts we created we could not maintain uh, because we all that extra time was going into building this addition. So uh, I don't want to beat that dead horse more than I already have, but. Uh, Time management was a really hard lesson learned last year. Um, so we did great. Uh, we were in the black before we even got bees here, starting off with the bee run and delivering uh, package bees to folks all across the country, uh, making nukes up, selling those here out of a yard. Uh, we made queens clear through uh, September and we're shipping queens all across the country that were uh, Ohio adapted fat bee man genetics and that. I really enjoy that aspect of it. And folks are seeing, you know, great improvements in their bee yard with those Queens. So it's fun to see all the things that you can do when you put your mind and your hand. Uh, So this year 
uh, or I, if I start back on where we were with, with the winter time, this is the second year in a row now we've done the clustering to, to see, you know, if it works or not. Like we mentioned earlier with the FLIR camera, I'm not seeing shared walls, uh, uh, but it, it, you know, it, I'm going to next year I'll do it again, but I'm going to probably only do half of them or less like that. Did you spray your bee yard with any dirty chemicals? I did not spray my bee yard with any dirty chemicals. Okay. I did uh, OAV. But I did vaporize my bees yeah, with salic acid. Yeah. So this year, because I've, and if you all have probably heard the story, I went down the, the, this treatment-free route uh, when we first were getting going and literally lost the farm uh, going that approach. So continuing on with beekeeping, I had to do it in a way that was uh it definitely had to be financially sustainable. That's like the first goal. It has to be financially sustainable. Then we started getting into physical sustainability, actually having stock to do anything with uh, to make splits and see if we can keep improving those those genetics here locally to fit our context and our goals. Um, so that was kind of the challenge. Now we've got genetics that are many winters in um, that we all started off with uh, the fat bee man, small cell genetics, and I absolutely love them. They're, I love working with them. They're calm. They're gentle. They're prolific. Um, they're so prolific that if you don't manage them, uh, they will find their own scale and context. And that's what happened with this with not having enough time to manage um, all the splits and to keep them fed and things like that. We did a lot of feeding last year. We, we put a lot of time into it. Uh, it was extremely profitable. And it could have been even more profitable had I had more time to maintain the beast um, that we had created. So going into the wintertime, uh, we clustered them all together. We did uh, mountain camp feeding now for a couple of years in a row, where about Thanksgiving, we'll put um, about a two and a half inch, looks like a mini box on the very top. We'll put a piece of newspaper over the top of the, of the top of the frames, and we'll put you know five to 10 pounds of sugar on top of that newspaper and then close the hive up. So we wintered, we've wintered um, successfully with as, as small as a uh, five frame single medium box um, in the past. So I know small boxes uh, work. What I've seen in my bee yard is that the smaller the hive is going into the winter, the higher the percentage of survivability is, but also those smaller hives going into the winter time are the hives that explode in the spring that you can split over and over and over and over again. Um, so it almost seems like the hives that you're not sure if they're strong enough to go into the wintertime, by consolidating those into smaller boxes, they do great, and then they explode in the spring. What I'm seeing is I'm having uh, a higher uh, survivability in colonies that are in five-frame boxes as compared to eight-frame boxes. Um, so... I know for a fact I already have, there was uh, a double eight frame box. I think this already died out and they were balanced as far as their size and their honey and they had dry sugar on. I've got single five frame boxes that are still living. So what I'm seeing year after year is double eight frame medium boxes is not a good configuration for me, but a single five frame um, or a double five frame is or a single five-frame deep works well here as well. And so far, a single five-frame deep with a a five-frame medium on top for the super, that seems to be working out really well. But the dry sugar 
if you're not familiar with that, you can go to our YouTube channel, at, uh, the Contrary Farmstead, and there's a video on winter feeding, and you can see exactly how we do that. It's really easy, it's quick, uh, and it's a really cheap insurance policy. Worst case, what happens is you start off, uh, you come out of the spring, and you have extra sugar on top that you put into a barrel, and you add a little bit of water, and you add you a little bit of yeast. Oh. Make you a little hooch. <laughs> there you go. Works out fine. Sounds like a uh, cheap insurance policy to me. It is. It's a cheap insurance policy uh, that there, you don't waste You don't waste anything because you can turn that sugar right around. You can also take that sugar uh, and mix it with water and, and make you sugar syrup up for spring, too, so you don't have to make hooch. So you mentioned you put a, a two-inch uh, box or so on top for yep. that. Mm-hmm. You know, Do you just use like old boxes that you have? Yeah, boxes that? that are getting a little bit run down or they're kind of wonky or... Um, when I we were downsizing from eights to do a lot more fives, I had a lot of extra, extra boxes laying around. Um, so I cut a bunch of eight frame boxes down for feeding shims for the eight frame boxes that I am wintering in. Same thing with five frame deeps. Um, we got rid of a bunch of five frame deep boxes to focus on mediums. So I would just cut those down into little two inch two inch boxes. It's a regular size. It's a regular box, but they're only like two inches tall. Right. So it's pretty much as simple as just taking this two inch box and placing it on top of your super. That's it. And laying down some newspaper and then dumping the sugar on top of that. Yep. Put the lid on and you're done. Wow. And the nice thing is you don't have, you know, a big, ridiculous, heavy box full of wood chips and all kinds of specialized feeding apparatuses. They're these little tiny shims. It's a feeding shim is what it is. You can leave them stacked up in the BR over the wintertime. You can stack them. You can get them out of the way easy. There's nothing else you really have to do. Um so that for me that works out really well but it's a matter of context and scale Mm -hmm. you know most commercial beekeepers when they get to where they have several hundred hives a lot of them aren't necessarily overwintering in the north yeah i just want to say we need one of these like uh, feeding rims in like georgia or texas or new mexico probably not you know so this is something that, that i'm doing here in ohio because the reason why we're putting the dry sugar on is not because our bees don't have enough honey because they have plenty of they have they have a lot of honey. The issue is, however, is when we have these winters like just like right now. I mean, look, it's a muddy, soppy, wet mess out in February. It's been a nightmare. It's been anyone who has animals in Ohio knows how bad it is. That pneumonia season now is literally from October until May. Yeah, because we have temperatures that are it'll rain and be 33 degrees it'll drop down and, and be 10 degrees it'll go up to 50 the next day it's bipolar weather. well we just we literally just had four days of it will snow at night and then during the day it'll be in like the 35 to 36 yeah come nighttime again it's below freezing and then god there's one day to where it was uh raining and then it went to 12 degrees so it was four days of slush, and then now we're at 12 degrees. And anyone that has any animals is, it's kind of a nightmare situation. We so, bedded up every single day, which is almost unheard of for the small amount that we were dealing with. Wow. So, you know, if I could beat one thing constantly into this microphone, it would be that context is key. Or context is king. Context is king. Could be. Well, Kenny, or Queen. Well, is it like Kenny King? Who's Kenny King? 
You never heard of Kenny King? I've heard of Kenny G. Well, I like Kenny G. Oh, I yeah, do I love, love Kenny, Kenny G. G. What are we talking about again? <laughs> Context. Saxophones? Saxophones. Yeah. Soprano, alto, baritone. I don't know. Eric saxophone. Where's Eric Rosendahl? He's a saxophone expert. He's the sax man. He's really saxy with that, isn't he? He is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys. That poor guy. Context is key because the things that we talk about doing uh, in our own yards is just that. It's for you know how our mind works, how our weather is, uh, the pest loads that we all have individually. We all have different soil types. We all have different uh, soil microbiology. But there's everything is so completely is so local, so context specific. You have to first and foremost recognize that. So you can't hear. You can't. You can't take somebody. You can't take what someone does in Colorado or Texas uh, or New York and say I'm going to do exactly that in my bee yard, unless you know for a fact that everything is the same in your yard as it is theirs. And even that, you have a mental approach and you have differences on, on how folks interpret what they see and then give to you as their fact. And that can even be different. It can be biased. So context is key. The reason why we're feeding dry sugar on top is not because we don't have enough honey or we've robbed all the honey. The reason why we do that is because the weather is fluctuating so greatly that they're breaking cluster almost all winter long, constantly. They're constantly breaking cluster to go feed. The problem is they're doing that in the time when it gets 45 degrees out and they're breaking cluster and it's 50 and they're flying. I mean, my bees fly colder than that. Yeah. They go out to fly in, in December and January. There's no forage for them. So you're, you'll see them hitting grain bins and, and grain feeders and they're bringing in protein and things when they can. That's, that's not going to sustain a bee yard, you know? So we need something on hand to where they have access to those carbohydrates if they actually need it. Now, here's where this gets crazy. We say that the bees know best. If we trust that the bees know what they're doing, I think we would all agree that if we walk away from our bee yards, those bees are likely are going to live, but they're going to swarm and go live somewhere else. Yeah. Right? They, they have a way of, of making, uh, making their way through all the things that we throw at them for the most part. So if we trust that, that if we actually trust that the bees know best, then this would be a very short podcast. This would be a very short podcast. Well, <laughs> the, the bees know best, but it's us understanding that and appreciating that is where all the problems arise. Yes. So because the bees know best, I put dry sugar on my hives and my hives are loaded full of honey. And when I open them up on a day, it's 45 degrees or 50. You know where the bees are? They're in the sugar. Yeah. And they have all the honey stores below that they want. So if the bees know best and we want to argue and say that sugar is terrible for bees and, and sugar is, uh, they don't want sugar and we're, we're evil because we, well, the bees have the choice right there in front of them of choosing their honey or the dry sugar on top and they're on the dry sugar on top. It's almost as if they know it's there. It's some folks call it emergency feeding. Yeah. I, I don't really think it's emergency feeding. I think it's, it's just an, it's insurance feeding is what it is. And that's it. You know, you, you look at, you go to any ballpark, you, you go to, go to, go to any local ballpark, uh, and June, right. And the trash cans are loaded full of soda cans and candy and hot dogs and ketchup. 
They're loaded full of bees, honeybees, yellow jackets. You know, they're hitting the Mountain Dew and the Hawaiian Punch and the Red Dye 40. And they're, they're, they're taking up all the sugar from those things and going right back to the hive. Sometimes, even when there's a flow on, they do that. So if we, if we are trusting the bees know best and they, they're choosing to bring in fructose corn syrup into the hive or they're, they're, they're feeding out of a trash can and they have honey available too, I think we have to look at that maybe a little bit differently and understand that there's more going on than we can probably see. So if I see my bees are choosing dry sugar over honey, to me, that's, that's, that's a detail you can't overlook. Oh, absolutely. But also at the same time, your dry sugar does more than just feed in there. How many times have you gone in there in the spring and it's a hard clump? See, that's a great point. Dry, the mountain camp feeding, that's more than just feeding the sugar. It's a you, just, you just put yourself a giant moisture trap in there. It's perfect. Yeah. Any, any, any excess moisture that you do have in the hive, our, our, all of our boxes are ventilated front and back. There's an, an, an inch hole on the front and back of every single box. So every box has cross flow. They can ventilate all that moisture out. But what's nice is that sugar on top, any excess moisture that's built up in the hive that isn't being ventilated, the sugar acts like a desiccant and it absorbs all that moisture. That's a great point. That's that's another huge uh, component uh, of that. The second insurance policy, right there. Yep. So that's you know that's that's what we did. Uh, we know when we got uh, into uh, July, August, September, we really started monitoring for mites, doing an alcohol wash, just yeah. to kind of see where our thresholds were. You know, once we hit two to three percent, you know, we we took we started taking action with with the salic acid. Once we pulled uh, all of our honey. Um, and like mid-September, late September, uh, that's when we started going through a, a more uh, stringent uh, treatment plan with osalic acid using a provape. We would go, on, we went in every week uh, for three weeks, and then checked them again. And they were yeah. they were down low again. Um, so we early in the year uh, because we do so many splits, the brood breaks really helps. It, you know, you can't just have one part. You can't just have a one thing that you do for mites. You have to have a more of what's called an integrated pest management. That could be a complete show. Oh my gosh, yes! But we do many things throughout the year, uh, natural things as well that I, that does I think help reduce um, that foothold that mites can have. Um, so when there's times where there's less brood, osalic acid is very effective. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's something that's always changing too, as research changes and things like that. New information comes out. Your IPM is always going to be evolving. I I would say with at least with me. Yeah, for me, oxalic acid has been has been uh, you know pretty solid. The more important thing, you have to have a metric to to compare that to actually say yeah. is this working or is this not working. You know, so uh, our our method of doing that is obviously not just looking. If we look and we see sick bees, we already have a problem that we're probably not going to get ahead of. If we're seeing de- deformed wing virus. Uh, in one hive, okay, maybe it's just one hive. If we're seeing in every single hive, boy, we're already in trouble because they're already injected with the virus. They're already suffering. We're already further along and we can probably catch back up to. So we try to stay ahead of that by alcohol washes um, and kind of, you know, look. You can also, once you have enough experience, you can tell. You can, there's a certain vibe the hive has that you'll, oh, yeah. that you'll pick up on if they're struggling, if they're not putting, if they're not building wax, if they're not bringing in anything, if they're just look like they're, they're like something's off. Becoming lot, more aggressive. Yeah. You know. A lot of times you'll look and you'll see, oh, I'm loaded full. There's, look at all these hive beetles or there's this or there's, you know, there's, there's something else going on. Sometimes it could be varroa mites. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're, they're hurting. So, 
it's it's an important aspect to always keep in mind that you, you can't be st- uh, staunch in your approach. You have to try to be as unbiased as you possibly can, looking for for feedback, um, and then to be able to, to change your approach if the information is supports that. Um, so it seems as though uh, we're wintering way better than we ever have by getting a, a hold of the mites before it was too late, uh, putting on dry sugar, um, you know, putting the hives together where we'll see if that's really helped or not. Um, I have no idea how many hives are out there right now. Yeah. There's a lot. Um, but when it's 42 degrees, they're out flying and there's lots of bees flying. So uh, we should have great numbers, um, you know, coming out of the spring. Um, what, what are your plans for spring? So our plan, the first thing that, you know, our, our, goals again this year is to you know learning from last year time management i think is what we all have pretty much said is, has been huge for us uh we're not going to have the addition um there's going to be aspects of the of the home set here that we're going to have to put time into um but we're going to dedicate uh and actually allocate the correct amount of time for whatever our management for whatever our goals are in the bee yard. Yeah. Our goals for this coming year, again, uh, is to sell nukes uh, out of our yard. Um, we're going to actually go in on a nuke delivery route uh, and probably late May, probably just Ohio and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Where we'll be delivering uh, our Ohio adapted bees, uh, those nukes, um, and into a bunch of different areas um, as well. We're also selling nukes right out of our yard here too. So uh, if folks are interested and buying nukes, um, we'll have those available. You can go to our website, naturesimagefarm.com. You can order nukes. Uh, another thing we're, that we're focusing further this year is developing our queens. And we're, we'll continue to ship queens across the country. Um, and so those will be Ohio adapted fat bee man queens. Um, those will be available as well. Well, we shipping those out uh, mid mid to late May. Um, the first thing that we're doing the bee yard is the the bee delivery route, which will pick up packages from Fat Bee Man, deliver them to Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and uh, West Virginia. So if you're still looking for bees, we still have a handful of packages left, uh, but you better order those soon because we I'm got a feeling we're going to be sold out here in just a couple more weeks. So is that trip going to go better than last year? If you have no idea what we're talking about, go back <laughs> to uh, episode Dan. And Greg's excellent adventure. It was an excellent adventure. To That's say episode the least. twelve. Episode twelve. Okay. Yes. Check out episode twelve. The Great American Bee Tour. That yeah. was. Yep. So we are doing that again this year, uh, and so it'll be fun. Hopefully, we ha- will uh, Jimbo's schedule free up, and we'll have the whole gang uh, together on the trip. So that's kind of where we are. Is uh, we're going to be busy. Our our goals in the bee yard are bee related. Uh, selling nukes, selling queens. Um, Dan, sounds like your goals are honey. Yep. To keep keep Slowly learning, growing on keep, honey. Keep growing at a pace that you can maintain. And Jimbo, it sounds like you're in good shape to uh, have overwintered bees and to keep growing your bee yard at a scale you can maintain and keep learning uh, from all our experiences. Yeah, pretty much Dan and Dan and my goal, myself's goals is pretty much aligned this year. Yeah. We didn't yep. do that on purpose. We didn't talk about that beforehand. No. So. Interesting. Well, guys, thanks again uh, for listening. We're glad to be back and looking forward to uh, having shows uh, coming out the rest of the year. Um, 
uh, definitely keep an eye on the on the uh, the Facebook group. Check out uh, Red Dog Ranch on Facebook, uh, Nature's Image Farm, uh, The Contrary Farmstead, Blask Media. Uh, you can keep in touch with all of us there. Uh, and we, like always, we appreciate uh, your support uh, for listening. It's nice to know it's more than just our mom is listening. Oh, is it? We know Dan's mom listens. She does. Maybe, maybe they are the only ones. Well, I guess until next time, be the change, be the lighthouse, but death becomes life. Wow. We wow, suck at this. Way to leave it on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys. Bye. Hey, that'll work. <laughs> How about that?